Redman plays on, gets the shepherd. He's a good kick of the footy. Redman, Redman, Redman! Three in a row, and the Bombers are in front of the G. Archie Perkins, they know it's there! And the rapture spreads around Marvel Stadium! How good is this, Bomber fans? Welcome back to the flight plan, plotting Essendon's path back to glory and fame. My name is Jasper Chalopar and I'm joined as always by Todd Davey, coming off a two-game win streak, Toddy. Awesome to be back on the winner's list for two weeks in a row, but let's not dwell too much on that game because I don't even want to revisit it for five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> no, well, g- g- give, me, give me four and a half seconds then on, on yeah. what you took out of the West Coast game. <laughs> we won. Um, <laughs> points, that's, that's about all I want to go into it. Um, any, any takeaways you had from that game? Yeah, no, I yeah, don't want to watch the replay at all, but um, I like that we were professional about it. We didn't give them a sniff in front of the home crowd, which was good. And I said beforehand, I was I was confident about this game going over West for the first time in who knows how long, over a decade. Um, and I was pretty correct, I think, with, you know, obviously West Coast is terrible, but I also really trust Brad Scott to instill a level of discipline in a team um, and, and to go out there and get the job done against whoever you're playing. So um, for, for us to go out there and, and get the job done and get back out, you know, get back into into Melbourne with no injuries and um, just a handy percentage booster is a great result. Yeah, absolutely. The professionalism of it was great to see. Um, great, some great performances. Zach was absolutely brilliant in that game, um, and I thought Heppel was really important in certain times. And it was just great to see the boys. Um, yeah, just professional. Like we said, it's like the last two or three years. It's the kind of game that Essendon would drop, and it had danger signs written in early when um. West Coast seemed like they were on their tackling. Pressure was up and they were pressuring Essendon pretty well, but it was a scrappy, ugly game and that's about all I want to go into it, I reckon. How about how about bloody Mason Redmond bobbing up in the first quarter in the Ford 50? That was yeah. the most unlikely bloke I would have thought for, for him to be crumbing that ball and, and snapping it. That was fantastic to watch him. Uh, there's been a bit of conjecture about him and I know a lot of it's unfounded and the fact that um, Adelaide's trying to lure him home when home is 400 kilometres away from Adelaide is bloody ridiculous. But we'll talk about that a little bit more going forward. Toddy, I think we'll go into a, a few questions, um, unfiltered answers, no knowledge of what's coming, but I want to I hear what you, what you want to chat about. All right, well, I, I kind of preambled this because I, I put it to you last night and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I had to like <laughs> divulge my first question. So it made a little bit more sense. But yeah, first question, and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing what the listeners got to say. So hit us up on Twitter um, at Flight Plan Pod when you've um, had a listen through and had a think about it. But uh, I know outside of Greg Martin, who follows us both on Twitter, who's an awesome <laughs> guy, uh, you are the biggest Nick Martin fan going around. And I'll, I'll, I have to concede that, unfortunately. Uh, I do love the man, but you've got me trumped there. Um, so in his draft year, 2019, um, so he was taken two years after that in the supplementary period. Um, if I go through the 2019 AFL draft, and can you stop me at the point that you would have taken Nick Martin? So oh, I'm yeah. Go from, oh, yeah. All I'm right. go from pick one. So pick one, Matt Rao. Yes or no? No, I'd take Rao still. Anderson, pick two. Noah Anderson. Um, yeah, I'd take Noah Anderson still. Luke Jackson to Melbourne, pick three. Oh, um, yeah, that's tough. Uh, that really I'll, is tough. <laughs> I'll take Jackson just. Oh, 
I already know the answer to this one, so I'm not going to ask it. So I'm going to, I might have to like cherry pick the the results here. Yeah, yeah. I, keep, I, I know, going I know you're going to say Lockie Ash. He's you're taking him. Before oh mate, Ash. he oh, I, I know, he pisses uh, me off. And Dylan Stevens <laughs> and Phil Fisher Mackesy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll go, I'll go down to pick out the, the rising star Caleb Saron. Now that's a really tough one. This is probably where it would start to really get interesting. Um, yep. Yep. Um, I, I the what what Nick Martin adds. And and we already know this, but not what Nick Munn adds, I think, is a level of class better than anyone that you've mentioned at the top of this draft board, which is incredible to, to think about because he was undrafted and he didn't have a great top age year. But he came out of the waffle a completely different player to what he is now as well. So his improvement through not just the, the two years away from an elite program, but now to be in an elite program and, and to accelerate beyond anyone's expectations and be this outside player, I think I would I think I would probably take him over Caleb Sarong, who I think is a fantastic in and under player, but um for his he's a little bit smaller and I, I'm not convinced about him being a top five inside midfielder going forward. I think I'd take Nick Martin over him. The, probably the two that stand out that are going from there on, or maybe the three, because I know we're both huge Tom Green fans. So I'd probably, I'd probably take Tom Green ahead of Nick Martin. And that's just by yeah. virtue of the fact that he just brings such a skill set that's really rare in the league. But the other two that stand out were Kazai Pickett and Sam DeConning. Um, what, oh, would yeah. be, what would you be your thoughts there? They're, they're probably the last two I'll mention here. I personally, I would take him ahead of Kazai Pickett, but not Sam DeConning. But that's that's just me personally. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is the perfect situation for Cozzy Pickett to be in. Um, he's playing for a top four team, although they haven't showed it recently. He's playing for a top four team. Um, he's their number one small forward. He gets midfield minutes. Uh, and this is probably what he is going forward as a player. And I think Nick Martin's had a better year than him. So I'm happy to take Nick Martin ahead of Cozzy Pickett. Uh, what, was the, what was the other name? Sam DeConing, who um, yeah. has been thrown around, around the ground a little bit lately. But... As a defender, I think last year, premiership fullback at 21, 20, yeah, 20, 21 years of age. Um, I'll probably take Sam DeConing ahead of him because they don't grow on trees. And that's what we want Zach Reed to become soon. And um, a lot of players on our list uh, hoping that they emulate what Sam DeConing has been able to do at a young age. So I'll take Sam ahead of him. That's, in- that's incredible. So recapping, if we're redrafting the 2019 draft, Matt Rail, Anderson, Jackson, stay in their positions. We'd move... Uh, Sam DeConing up to four and Tom Green maybe to five or we could yep. we could sh- yeah, shuffle yeah. those around any way we want. Nick Martin would be at six, which is insane. He the the scope of improvement of this guy is just it's a testament to him as a as a leader and it's a testament to the Essen Footy Club how we finally worked out our um development issues. And you know he's yep. he's the test case for the last two or three years. And you know if if he's what we could expect going forward from our player development, then we're, we're onto something special here. And, you know, I think his development can still take it to another level. And Todd, you and I agree on this. He's a, he's an inside midfielder for mine. He's got all the hallmarks of, I, I look at what Adelaide has done with Jordan Dawson, who is a top five, 10 player in the comp for mine. And I think, Nick Martin has the the composure, the foot skills out of congestion. He still has the tackling ability and this um, really one touch blow his knees kind of propensity. And he can emulate a little bit of what Jordan Dawson has done as this, you know, mid 190 centimeter inside midfielder that really hurts you on the outside as well. That's a great comparison. And, and a couple of players that have been thrown around probably a little bit before your time, but 
um, just in that sweet spot for me. So Mark McCurry and Blake Carousel are the two that have been throwing around a lot. It's two great comparisons. If he's anywhere close to either of those guys, two premiership players, Mark McCurry almost won a Brownlow medal and Blake Carousel are multiple premierships with Essendon and uh, the Brisbane Lions. If he has anywhere close to those two guys, that'd be an awesome achievement. But for him to be the sixth best player in a draft, that's it's actually pretty strong when you look back at it. That's an amazing feat. And, and, and that yeah. is a really strong draft as well, Toddy. That 2019 draft is really good. It's incredible. And um, it's a testament to him and, you know, his strong family that he's got around him. Like, shout out to Greg, obviously. Great family that he's got there and, and the development of the Essendon Footy Club. But, uh, yeah, what's, enough about Nick Martin for now. We, we touched on him every <laughs> week. So let's, let's go on to the next question. Um, do you want me to go? I'm, I'm going yeah, to raise sure. one from Twitter. And I don't know if you've answered it on Twitter already, but I'm really interested in what you've got to say here. Um, who, who's the better player? Adam Saad or Mason Redmond? Well, that... That's one I really thought about. I didn't want to, I didn't want to answer on Twitter because you know it's going to get misconstrued because I've got this ongoing joke with <laughs> Nick Hines and Adam Saad. Um, this is shout out to Jono because I saw him talk about Adam Saad being the better yeah, player. Yeah, he was there. A, yeah strongly I think, I defended it, Adam Saad. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that you would prefer Adam Saad for this season, but going forward, I'd much rather Mason Redmond on my list. So that, that's just a factor of age. I think they're pretty pretty similar in their output for this season. Maybe Saad a little bit better, but that's. Maybe, maybe not, considering Carlton's not playing too well and they're not utilising him as well as they were. But he's coming off a back an All-Australian season as a halfback flank. He's one of the elite players in the competition and Mason Redmond's working his way up to there. So personally, I'd take Mason Redmond based on the fact his ceiling is a little bit higher and he's a lot younger. But um, mm. if it was plug and play for this season right now, it'd be Adam Saad. What are your thoughts? He Well, yeah, Mason's three years younger and Saad's at 28 now, so he should be at the peak of his powers. Um I know he's playing for a real garbage team right now, but he hasn't been as good as Mason Redmond this year, I don't think. I think Red Dog's been a top five halfback in the competition, and I'm happy to rattle them off right now. Tell me if you disagree. I think he's up there with, I think Nick Dacos is number one, clear number one halfback. Jack Sinclair was getting a bit of mid-time as well as Dacos. Um, Dan Houston and uh, Daniel Rioli, I think, including Mason Redmond in those five. I think those have been the five best halfbacks in the comp. Yeah, I think that's fair, yeah. So, so you look at his age, he's 25, he's turning 26 soon. He's three years younger than Adam Saad. Saad relies on his pace a lot. He, he gambles and he relies on his pace to catch up to his forwards or to close that gap as quickly as possible and, and to make his, himself look a little bit better than sometimes he is with his positioning. Um, I think he will fall off a, a little bit quicker than what Mason will because his foot skills, for, for me, Redmond's foot skills and his penetration, his kicks better and, he, he finds the ball in more dangerous positions. Um, so going forward, I'd obviously want Redmond right now. Right now, I think I would I would take Mason Redmond's season over Adam Sards as well. So I, I think there's a genuine case to make here that Mason Redmond's the the better player right here, right now. Yeah, I think I think it's it's an absolutely fair question to raise, and it's it's yeah, really what you probably want from yeah defender going forward. Mason Redmond's nearly 10 centimetres taller than Adam Sard. He's a much better one-on-one defender. He doesn't rely on the pace, like you were saying, but his, his endurance is insane. Like we saw in that Richmond game, he was running to, towards the end of the game and setting up that final flow that ultimately won us the game. So his fitness base is incredible. And it, the point you raised about Adam Sard is absolutely accurate. And I, I, I'm always worried about those guys when they hit, reach that 30-year-old crescendo that they'll drop off a cliff really quickly when they rely so heavily on speed. And that's exactly what Adam Saad does. And he gambles a lot, as you mentioned. So, you know, I, 
yeah, I really think I would probably take, I'd definitely take Mason Redmond going forward. And based on what you've said and how it all stacks up, um, oh yeah, you probably take Mason Redmond's season to date right now over Adam Saad. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. The next question regarding Mace is, would you match a deal that's, as reported, 750K for five years? Uh, yes. But I, you it, would. He, if, if, it, if we just had to, yes. But I, I think Mason is the kind of guy that wouldn't demand that much at Essen. I think he's a pretty loyal guy. Essen, yep. let's not forget Mason Redmond went through a lot of injury troubles at Essen when yep. he first started out. He, he wasn't a super high draft pick either. And you know, Essen persisted with him, maintained a strong relationship, always backed him in too. And, you know, he, he strikes me as a super loyal guy. He, he, he's a guy that could potentially be a club captain down the line when um, Zach Merritt's, you know, he was even touted as being a uh, club captain before Zach Merritt was appointed. So yeah. I, I think um, that doesn't really answer the question that you asked though. So sorry about that. But um, yeah, I definitely matched a $700,000, $800,000 deal with Mason Redman um, just based on his playing ability, the ceiling and what he brings to Essen. But what are your thoughts? No, that's all really relevant, Toddy. And I, I agree. Um, you, you, we're going to get listeners giving us feedback that, you know, 750 for a halfback is ridiculous. A five-year deal in general is ridiculous. You can look, point to Harry Mackay with a seven-year deal right now as, a, as an example of that. But what what Mace adds as an on-field leader, as a culture setter, heart and soul type is invaluable. And you look at our cap situation right now where we've got millions of dollars in the cap, where we, we need to play around with that right now. And we're not necessarily going to attract the biggest free agents this year, but what we can do is we can secure the futures of our best players right now and help those players be the veteran leaders when we've got a great team underneath them of these guys we're trying to develop. And that is the Mason Redmonds. That's the Darcy Parishes for mine. These are the guys we really need to secure the long-term future of because they're integral for integral for what we're trying to do now and in five years' time as well. Um, and for me, Mason Redmond is absolutely someone that we should be looking to keep. And I think it will probably end up being at about six fifty, seven hundred thousand dollars that we we keep him around because his form has been elite. The the one thing he needs to do, Toddy, and we we noted this a couple of times in the past, but again, especially against St Kilda, he had a horrid game, and his his floor games are really low right now. Um, the the top the top of echelon games that he's producing like on the weekend are, are just staggeringly high but um, he needs to raise that floor and become a more consistent player yeah confidence is a huge issue for him and it seems like he has a hard time um, forgetting about like accident in the start of the game that really impact Paulie um, on the team and reflect poorly on him. So like Ted Lasso says, be a goldfish out there. That's something that's <laughs> needs to focus on going Oh, forward. I love that. <laughs> uh, now, a question unprompted for you. Um, based on what you've seen so far from Ben Mackay and Harry Himmelberg, would you be offering either of them a free agent deal to come across to Essen, considering the play they put forward so far and the, the amount of dollars on that contract that would be needed to have so they, first of all, can't be matched and would be enough for them to yep. be lured across to Essen? Yeah, so that's a great question, Toddy. Um, firstly, on Ben, he uh, I watched him up close on the weekend at the game against Collingwood. He is really lazy, um, and he doesn't have he doesn't have any urgency in his game. I don't know if he's like necessarily checked out at North Melbourne with his impending free agency, but he need, he needs to become a significantly more significantly more proactive footballer as a defender 
um, to to be an elite defender. And he has he has really good ball skills. His intercept marking's good, and um, he he fits the mold of what should be an elite intercept or or you know strong key defender. But uh, right now, I don't see it. And um, you know, I think he had three disposals up to bloody three quarter time, and he just. It's it's a it's a struggle to watch him play, and I I do feel for North fans sometimes watching these guys who should be their best players, their leaders, not stand up. And Ben McKay is one of those right now, and I w- I wouldn't be giving him a big contract at all, Todd. So just going back to what you said about being lazy, would you put that down from a personal opinion? You obviously don't know the internal factors there, but would you put that down to him as a player, or, or the fact that you would hazard a guess that he's checked out of North Melbourne? If you had to guess from ostensibly looking at him, what would be your your guess as to the motivations of Ben Mackay? So it, it would be around, like, if we brought him in, would you be confident that that, you know, laziness, as you mentioned, would be part of his game? Or do you think it, he would just be motivated straight away? Yeah, well, laziness can definitely be coached out. I don't know if this is just him as a player or if he's checked out. I have no idea, Toddy. And if I, if I knew... If I'd you know watched him up close and personal in previous years and see him doing something completely different, then I would say he's probably checked out. But maybe this is just what he's done the entire time as a fullback. It 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 feels like from me, and and I did think it at the time. It was he's probably just not he's not putting in a hundred percent, and I think that's just a laziness issue, Tom. Yeah, it's it's a fair assessment, and it's, it's something that really has to be considered going forward um, with. Um, ben McKay, because he's one of the guys that we've been crying out for. And myself personally, yeah. I, I really did think that he would be a great addition coming into the season because he's a great intercept defender. But if, um, yeah, if, if that kind of mentality drifts over to, um, or lingers for the entirety of the season and, and is a potential issue going forward, then that's really a red flag for Ben McKay. And, and how about um, Himmelberg? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think Harry's a bit of a different case because I don't think he's been playing in his best position. I'm not sure... He is this um, kind of full forward type. Next to Jesse Hogan, he hasn't looked very good. I think as a defender, he reads the play beautifully. He has a good engine and can be really mobile on like center half forwards. Um, He intercepts well. He uses the ball well, importantly. So that's someone that I would definitely be looking at to act as a conduit between the developing guys and just what we're we're dealing with right now um, with our, our lack of... Uh, defensive depth at, at you know those key posts. I think if you're looking at matching a an offer from say a Richmond or um, even you know a, a matching a deal by GWS, I don't think I would be offering that amount of money, which is probably 700k plus. I just don't think I'd be doing that for Harry Hilmerberg. So I'd I'd argue against going for both of them to be honest. That's really interesting, and I think I probably agree on both. I've Sometimes we just need to stop getting caught up in the fact about bringing in guys from other teams just for that sugar hit, as you always mention about new coaches. But it's the same sort of thing with a new player, like bringing in the biggest name of free agency. Mm. If, if they don't fit in what we do, and Essen's been really bad with this over recent years, and we're only just sort of rectifying it now. But you know, bringing in like Sarge Stringer and and Smith, they didn't really fit our needs at the time. And while it was awesome to bring guys of that caliber in, they didn't really address any of the needs that we had. And and you know, we've we suffered over the years because of that. And yeah, it's something we need to address going forward. And Ben, ben McKay does address the need, but if, if the lack of motivation is there, then there's no point doing that. And yeah, I think I agree with you on both of those guys. Now, Toddy, from one from Ben to Harry almost, this this does revolve around Eston. Don't worry too much. But have you seen, and I'll, I'll lay out the question first. Have you seen a better 
more consistent kick for goal in your life than Matthew Lloyd? No, I don't think so. I think he'd be he'd be up there with just about anyone, including Tony Lockett and Jason Dunstall. He's yeah, he was just he had the set shot routine down pat and just kicked beautifully. But yeah, um, Harry, no, he's <laughs> complete opposite. Oh, it is it's right diabolical. Now. And I'll talk I'll talk more about Matty Lloyd than Harry. But for me, Lloyd's set shot routine was perfect. It was the the grass toss. It did not matter if it was under the lid at Marvel. It was the grass toss because that was his routine. That's how he got his performance um, into, into gear. His concentration on the target, his run up, his ball drop, his follow through. And it boggles my mind why players don't practice with all of these factors included, practice this performance routine at training and before games. Say with the headphones on, you have the crowd noise in, you have someone on the mark, you you replicate the matches as best you can, in my opinion. And right now, I don't think professional standards are up to up to scratch when you're talking about goal kicking and and finishing off the product of everything else you work on. And I don't really know what the answer is because it's not as if players don't want to practice that, but a lot of dialogue that you hear out of clubs that the sports scientists kind of control their workloads and they don't want them out there longer than, you know, the, the preset times of what training is going to be. So I noted that um, I think it was Michael Whiting on Twitter put something up about Ben King doing like 10 minutes at least of goal kicking practice before um, Gold Coast main training session today. And like, why isn't every player doing that? Why aren't they getting their routine set their mindset's ready for goal kicking because it's just like, if you watch Aaron McCarr out there, you're just like, what is going through your fucking head? Like every single set shot seems like it's a different approach, different routine. Doesn't know whether he wants to snap around the body or kick straight drop punts, depending yeah. on where, where he's at. So it's, oh, he's just completely bereft of confidence and I don't know what you're going to do, but Matthew Lloyd, like you said, perfected that. And he should be the, the factor that everyone tries to emulate going forward. And speaking of Harry, just a, a Another impromptu question. This is a, a really interesting debate. And like, if you're speaking impartially, who would you prefer to have at your footy club, Peter Wright or Harry Mackay? Yeah, Peter Wright with that question, because I can rely on him inside 50 um, and he makes a better contest at times than, than Harry kind of flopping and floundering around a little bit. Um, Harry's undoubtedly got the more talent, but as you know, I fucking hate the word talent and it's, it's what, Pete gets out of himself is, is what's important. And it's more than Harry. That's genuinely inconceivable to think that two years ago that he won the Coleman medal and Peter Wright was on the scrap yeah. heap at Gold Coast. And now two years on, <laughs> Peter Wright would be... He, I can't imagine too many people would disagree with what you just said there um, around Peter Wright and, and Harry Mackay. And it's 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 incredible indictment on the... I don't, know if, don't even know if it's Carlton that's mismanaged Harry or if it's just a confidence issue, but it's crazy to think that the two Coleman medalists are in that team for consecutive years and they can't kick winning scores. It's insane. Yep. Um, for me, and you alluded to it just before, I think you need to take the decision out of your mind and you got to focus on the task at hand instead of kind of just flopping around and wondering what type of shot you should kick, what the wind's doing, all this kind of stuff. You need to take all that out of your mind. For me, uh, it, it made me think of, on Friday night watching it, made me think of um, poker charts and, and how poker players don't even you know, don't make their own decisions at times because so, there's a chart telling you if you're, you know, if you've got seven, two, you fold. If you've got aces and someone's raised you, you, um, you, you two bet in. And I, I think it's really important that players know what they, what the kick they should execute in the forward 50 is going to be before 
you know, they run into to do it. And for a lot of players, it's going to be, you know, on the left foot, in the left forward pocket, 35 meters out, you snap it on in the right forward pocket, 35 meters out, you have a set shot, that kind of stuff feels like it takes a lot of the issues out of the mind. And, and it at least gives you the confidence that you're executing the right kick because you've decided before the game, that's what you're going to be doing. Yeah, and like we said last week, we were talking about that chips in play of Essendon. How can a full team know what their structure is going to be in the last two minutes of a game, knowing they need to kick a goal to win the game? But a, but a player that's a forward, that's won a Coleman medal, that's a stay-at-home forward, doesn't know where he's going to, what routine he's going to use, what sort of kick he's going to use at different points of the game. It just It's insane to me, and it's something that he really needs to address, and thankfully, or hopefully, he doesn't work it out before um, two weeks from now. I really loved watching Jai Amos on the weekend. He's kicked 10 goals from his last 11 set shots and he just does the same thing every single time. He's 19 years old, doesn't let the pressure affect him because he has this performance routine he he comes back to and every time it's just a beautiful set shot. So, you know, that's something to look out for and I think it's not just Harry who's, um, you know, (laughs) not not dealing with this properly. I think Sammy Wiedemann let it get to his head on the weekend and um, last week even and, um, a couple of others. I think Carl Langford's probably our best set shot right now, but there are a few at the club who could probably take a leaf out of Matty Lloyd's book and, and look to look to emulate that. Toddy, have you got a question? Yeah, one last one. Just, I was just having a look at uh, your man, Jai Miss, actually. Um, I remember during the draft time, you were hoping that he slipped through to us. But speaking of that draft, Ben Hobbs at pick 13. I thought he had one of his really better games for us against West Coast, hit the scoreboard twice. Um, what were your thoughts around his game and like, where do you see his potential going forward? Yeah, I think um, I was probably a little bit more down on Hobber than a lot of Essendon supporters when he got through to us. I had him ranked a couple spots below where we had him and a few players above him. But I think what what really impressed me about him, and we know he has this maniacal pressure at the coalface and he's desperate for the ball and he would dive on it and he'll flick it out with really clean hands. What's really impressed me about him, and it's something he's definitely worked on since his um, Rebels days, his spread from contest, his, his call for the footy out on wings um, and ability to accumulate the footy with uncontested marks and uncontested footy in general is something that he's really worked on hard. And you can you can tell that his aerobic base is much better than it was last year. Um, and the the one thing for me that he really needs to improve and we, we almost got an iron and out of his game over a preseason and his ball drop is too high um, around the field. And he's been caught a couple of times doing that. And he's been smashed a few times just from not getting rid of the ball quite quick enough or not putting on a step quick enough and, and kind of staying flat footed when he receives the ball, he needs to be on the move and he needs to get it to his boot quicker. And that's something we're going to have to teach out of his game, Toddy. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's the old cliche of what the step up to AFL football is so much faster than VFL. And he, he, he kind of uses the ball a little bit like a VFL player right now. Very slow um, ball to boot. And the ball drops way too high, like you mentioned. I, I noted that three or four times just watching the game at home um, to my girlfriend, Cara, when we are watching it. And it's just, it just seems like even when he does get ball to boot, he's not hitting targets like he should. He, he, he does seem to have like a pretty good action. It's just the higher ball drop and just not getting it to um, boot quick enough. So, you know, a little bit to work on, but I was really impressed with his game. His goal sense is re- so much better than I thought yeah, it was. And, yeah. and um, like the, the, one of the snapping goals he got, it was just a one-touch kick that went straight through the middle. So his goal sense is a lot better than I thought it was. And yeah, I've um, yeah got some high hopes for him going forward. Yeah, the two goals are really impressive. That set shot from 40 was just as good as a snap out of congestion where 
a West Coast player didn't go ab- near him at all in the forward 50. Just a truly bizarre decision. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've liked his inclusion to the side and I think he needs to stay there for the rest of the year and develop because he is a big part of our future midfield. And um, you're right, Todd, it's been a lot of positives so far from him. One last one from me, Toddy. Should Peter Wright come straight back in with no VFL time if he gets medically cleared um, on Thursday? Yep. As our man Joe Watson once said, you don't run a group one horse in the bush. And that's what Peter <laughs> Wright is. He's the best and fairest winner, leading goal kicker. Uh, and he's an absolute thoroughbred. So I'll bring him straight back in. And if he comes up against the lazy Ben Mackay on the weekend, he could <laughs> slot, straight, slot straight back in and kick five goals. It'd be great to see. But uh, what do you think? What, do you, would you run yeah, him watch, straight away or give him limited time? Watch Ben Mackay have a fucking career day against us now that I've said that. But Yeah, um, remember, remember against GWS, you <laughs> I've been meaning to bring this up for a couple of weeks. I need to put you on blast here for a second. That you, you said oh, no. Nick Keynes was washed and he had 17. Oh. That was one of the old times. He looked fantastic too. against us. That was prime, <laughs> prime Nick Haynes. Oh, it was really bad by me. I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> it was fair enough, but uh, he, I, I did warn you that um, he could come back to bite us and it did. But yeah, yeah. Um, would you play Peter Wright in the ones or would you give him a bit of time? It was a, a really interesting point that um, Scooter made from the lunchtime catch-up is that it's sort of... It's not a structural issue. He's obviously healed and been medically cleared. So it's just, it's an issue about match fitness. And, and that's where it really comes down to, to me. And if he backs, they back themselves in, I'd play him. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's the big one for me. If he's match fit, he plays. And um, you just got to trust with these. Was it a shoulder reconstruction? I don't even remember. What was it, Toddy? Yeah, it was a, um, I can't remember if it was a reconstruction, but it was definitely um, a shoulder injury that he went through. Yeah. Required well, surgery, the- yeah. The big thing for me is he can still um, run. He can still be aerobically active on on bikes and whatnot. So that's fantastic because he hasn't missed a beat. He's basically just got a longer preseason in um, since that surgery. Uh, and for mine, I think you need to get him as soon as possible because the biggest issue for him will be the rust. And that's just clunking balls above his head, um, being a bit more physical, um, a, a presence than you are usually at training. Um, and then just being a bit more proactive on the lead and, and, and reading balls in flight. So all of that stuff, I think, just comes with practice um, in, in game scenarios. And, and I think that's just what he needs to get going now. So I would love to see him come in against North Melbourne and kick a few. Yep, good point. And uh, just before we wrap things up, because I know you've got to get out of here and I've got to get out of here too. Um, we didn't spend too much time recapping the West Coast game. So let's not spend too much time on a similar opposition in North Melbourne coming up this week. Um, <laughs> just in a line, what are your thoughts? I, I know you've been <laughs> starting off the show the last couple of weeks with at least we're not North Melbourne. Is that your thought process going into the Sunday's game? Do you think, like, do you think it's going to be an easy win for us or is it like a bit of a danger game that we need to look out for? Um. This is they're 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 a better side than West Coast, that's for sure. I thought they had they had a really good game two weeks ago against Sydney, and they somehow lost that in the last minute, which was hilarious. Um, and then they had a pretty <laughs> yucky game against Collingwood, where Collingwood doesn't play Marvel well, um, but they just you know breezed through them in the first three quarters and took their foot off um, the gas. I I think the only thing we need to watch out for and it's going to be a test of our patience because they will possess the ball a lot around halfback. They'll chip market and they'll be really patient. Um, and that's what they've done well with Jack Zeebel and Harry Sheasel and Aaron Hall, these types of players, they accumulate their 30 touches doing you know not much with the ball, but it will test our patience and hopefully we don't lose our structure and hopefully our attack of the coal face is just as, um, just as important as, as, you know, usually, you know, over the last two weeks we've seen. So I don't think we should be worried about this game, but 
we need to take them seriously because they have an avenue to win. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it, we saw Nick Larkey return to form in a big way against Collingwood, and it's going to really test our defensive structures. And you know, we, we have been – well, we don't really have the guy that just matches up to him straight one for one that can shut him down if the ball use is really good to him. So it's going to test our structures really well behind the ball. But um, I think we're up to the task. And we, we need to take this game seriously, like you said, but I think it's one that we should really win. So, yeah, I'm pretty confident going into this week. I'm confident as well, mate. Um, one last question from uh, ROC Photography, who's one of your good mates. Um, he asked, besides Merritt, who is our most important player? And for me, I think our system has been huge this year, but I would love to get your thoughts on who our most important player is. Yeah, I hadn't put too much thought into this one. Um, it's a really interesting question. Matt, can you go with yours and then I'll have a think about it? Yeah, so for me... There's two, there's two answers here um, and there's like we have barometers, but I wouldn't include them as most important because when they don't rock up, we can still win. Um, for me, Jordan Ridley as the intercept defender, I think that's one of the most important roles in footy. And when our pressure is like present at the coalface, like we've seen over the last two matches, he becomes almost our best player because he looks fantastic when the ball is scrambled forward. He reads it better than anyone else. His hands are beautiful. He uses it beautifully. Um, I don't need to say too much about Rids. He's a fan favorite for a reason. The other one, and we haven't had him. We've just been talking about him. Peter Wright straightens us up so well. And without him last year, we would have lost another couple of games and just, you know, had a bottom four campaign. I was devastated over preseason when we lost him. I thought that was season over and I think you probably would have been the same as well. I thought that was just season done. And the fact we've done it without him has been fantastic. It speaks to me. I think it speaks to key forwards not being as important as they used to be. You just need to make a contest and get the ball to ground. Um, But uh, an elite key forward, like he was top five Coleman last year, just straightens you up beautifully and you can rely on him for a couple, two to three goals a game. And it really helps ease the pressure on everyone else around him. So I think I'll say Peter Wright. Yeah, good call. Um, And I'm going to have, Ridley was a really good shout. And I'm going to have to go with some guys not in the team currently too. It's Darcy Parrish. I think we've been, it's been really, really beneficial. I never thought we'd beat Brisbane. So we kind of threw that game away, but it was very, very, very beneficial for us that we came up against a pretty average Richmond team through the midfield other than Tim Taranto and then come up against West Coast, who's just average across the, board i think he he was playing career best footy pretty much when he was in the team he was leading the afl for disposals i think anyone who thinks that we can let him walk for a, a free agent pick has got no fucking idea what they're talking about he's so important he uses the uses the ball gives his first use he uses the ball great um he people would probably disagree with that but uh, you don't watch him too closely enough i think he um, as you mentioned about Peter Wright straightening us up, I think he gives us a lot of structure through the midfield. Um, gives the gives the mids like Merritt and Shearwood, he's in the opportunity to spread and spread with confidence. Um, and he gets forward and kicks goals off. I think he's the complete midfielder and I can't wait to see him back in. And I think, he, yeah, he's our most important player outside of Zach. Beautiful stuff, Toddy. I absolutely love us. I can't wait to see him back after the bye. He's going to be so important for our run home. We're looking good for finals right now, I reckon. Um, it's just nail these last two games before the bye against North Melbourne and Carlton, and we'll be breezing. I uh, can't wait for that one. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to follow us at Flight Plan Pod on Twitter and also give us a review. We've got a few five-star reviews in there, which is fantastic to see um, because they have been asked, unasked for. We haven't, we haven't called anyone else to do that yet, and just people doing it has been fantastic for us to see. 
Yeah, and um, a little message to you alerted to me on the weekend that we ticked past our 500th stream for a single episode um, over the weekend, which is awesome. Bang. Thanks so much to everyone who listens. We, that's been a bit, bit of a target for us to, you know, to give you a bit of a view to the inner sanctum of um, what we do at the flight plan. Um, we've been targeting that 500 streams for a couple of weeks now. We finally achieved it. We're really proud of the work that we're both doing and really happy that the community sort of rallied behind us on S and Twitter, especially thanks to everyone who listens and we can't thank you enough for getting behind us. And yeah, keep, keep up with the questions, keep up with the streams. Um, we love it and can't thank you enough. Thanks for tuning in. And at least we're not North Melbourne.